So um, first, I've actually added a step. So I'm up to six now. And it's like I'm moving in the wrong direction. I know it's like it was like eight minute abs, then seven minute abs, six minutes. I'm going in the other. I'm like, it was five steps of healing. Now it's six. So it's getting longer. But um, so here's I, thought, I think the first step is um, we have to admit that we're having problems. We have to stop pretending. We have to admit that we're suffering and that we're hurting. We have to take off sort of the Christian mask and we have to get humble. So like the first, the first step is admitting that I have a problem. There are areas in my life that I don't know what to do with my relationship with my kids, my relationship with my spouse. Maybe it's a, um, some sort of addiction. Maybe it's your weight. Maybe it's your relationship with food. Um, maybe it's work, procrastinating colleagues. We, we have to get honest and stop pretending like everything's going fine. And we have to admit that there are areas of our life that we don't know what the heck to do with. And I think the virtue that goes with that step is, is the virtue of humility. Asking God for, for humility to be honest with ourselves about where our life really is, not where we want it to be, not how we, I want you to think about my life, but where is my life actually? And the scripture passage that I think goes with that is, is I am the vine, you are the branches. Without you, without me, you can do nothing. That there are really these areas in my life where I've been trying to do all these things and getting nowhere. And I have to admit that. That's the first step, to surrender, to surrender. The second step, I think, is this looking at my attachment to God. Uh, I'm not going to be honest. I'm not going to do this hard work of being honest with God if I have a really distorted image of God. Like if God is some divine taskmaster. Now, I, uh, intellectually, again, I know he's not. But if I feel like deep down I have to perform, I got to, you know, I got to be right before I can really talk to God. Then I'm not going to I'm not going to do the rest of the healing work because the healing work requires me to dig into some deep, hard, painful stuff. And if I think that God is just going to. I know he's not, but I really feel like he's up there with his finger on the smite button. Um, to wait and to just oh, gotcha now, bah! right? Or that God's got this this idea of like you pick yourself up by the bootstraps. This is like all this stuff blends with our culture too. Like American culture is very sort of individualistic. It's it's this uh, uh, America's this land of opportunity. You you make you make what you want out of life. We that that stuff bleeds into our our faith. American Christianity is sort of ripe with this like. I can do, even though people talk like God's primacy, God's grace, God, there's a lot of like in action, a lot of like, I, me, I, like I pick myself up on my bootstraps. I just, you know, and we got to, we got to figure out where our relationship and view of God is distorted, where it's like our, do we have felt security? And, and we have to start rebuilding that. And we start rebuilding that by, uh, meditating on passages, passages from scripture that highlight God's love and also asking God or, or asking ourselves what we need to hear God say to us. What do I need to hear God say to me in order to build that security? And so, so guys look like attachment security that that's built into us as human beings. Human beings are made for attachment. Like um, you don't have to teach a baby how to, how to begin the attachment process to a caregiver that's in us. But it's also sort of spiritually in us. Adam and Eve had a secure attachment to God. And it, it's only after original sin that that insecurity enters, right? They cover up, they hide. When was the last time you hid 
when you weren't played in hide and go seek. Like when you got in trouble, we hide when we're in trouble, when we're afraid. Adam and Eve immediately become afraid of God. They lose that security, that sense of, of attachment, and we need to regain it. Look, this is a consequence of original sin. Many of us deep down are distrustful of God. And Adam and Eve show it to us. And, and the history of Israel shows it to us. We're distrustful of God. Regardless of what we say with our lips, very often in our hearts, we have this deep sinking suspicion that maybe just maybe God isn't for me. Maybe just maybe I need to take care of myself. And part of what my healing steps are about, I say mine, part of the, part of the steps of healing are identifying all the ways subtly that we're distrustful of God, that we're engaged in what I call self-preservation. Uh, God, I'm not sure you're going to handle this. I better take care of this. And so that second step is about trying to re, to rehab our image and attachment to God. Right? I think we have to, to do that in step two. Step three is we got to get down to some causes and conditions here. Um, I've made this distinction, you know, I, I call them primary wounds and secondary wounds. Um, I think we get wounded, y'all. I think our wounds are failures to be loved the way we're created to be loved. I think that's, that's, that's how we get wounded. When somebody hurts us, it's because they have failed to love us the way we were created to be loved. And I think there's six ways, sort of uh, this hierarchy I've come up with. And I, I've rooted it in Maslow, actually. If you take Maslow's hierarchy, I've, I think Maslow sort of articulates sort of six levels of needs that we have, that we're made with, that, that actually sort of speak to perfect love. So, so we need like, the first level is material needs. I've tried to turn them into six S's so that they're more memor memor memorableizable. Is that a word? It is now. More memorable. <laughs> Universalizability. Right? Yeah, you, you can commit <laughs> them to memory better. Um, so, so the first level is like somatic needs, bodily needs. We, we, need, we need food, clothing, shelter. We need rest, leisure, time to restore and renew and recharge. Um, the second level is security, emotional security, interpersonal security, financial security. Uh, then we need a sense of connection, right? We need to feel connected. We need, uh, we desire sexual intimacy, friendship, um, intimacy with family, family bonds, siblings, parents. Uh, we have a need for self-esteem. And by self-esteem, I mean here like respect, dignity, honor. We, and we deserve that. We were created in the image and likeness of God. We deserve to have our, our dignity noted and respected. And right? um, then there's a certain self excellence we pursue. We, like human beings, we want to be. We want to be competent at things. We strive for excellence. This is why you know people climb Mount Everest. Like why? There's this like thing in us where, where we want excellence. Um, this is what virtues are. Virtues are excellences and powers of the soul. We want excellence. Um, and the last is self-transcendence, something beyond us, a relationship with God, meaning, purpose, beauty, truth, goodness. Okay, so we have this, these six levels. And when, when one of those needs fails to be met in our life, I think that's a wounds form. When somebody doesn't honor us, we get bullied. That's somebody failing to uh, honor us, right? Um, now, the, now the thing is, 
if somebody's sexually assaulted, that that's right. Um, they've been wounded at the level of, of the, the safety and security right, of their body. We should have a certain bodily autonomy and we should be able to assume that our body is safe and secure, physical security. Um, and their dignity has been harmed. So I think wounds are when we fail to be loved the way we're created to be loved. I'm calling those primary wounds. Primary wounds are wounds that we don't play a role in. They just happen to us. Now, how do we heal a primary wound? I think we heal primary wounds by giving them to Christ and trying to stay out of the way. Um, primary wounds take time to heal. But if we keep giving them to God and inviting them to, and, and we learn to hold them, you have to learn to hold them and accept them. They begin to heal over time. Now, that doesn't mean the pain goes away. Look, if you lost a child, the pain of losing a child is never going to go away. Uh, not if you're not if you're a, a real human being. Um, the the pain of being sexually assaulted is never going to go away. Not if you're a real human being. It will change. It will morph. It will feel less acute. You will see how God will use it to help others. You'll, um, it won't be an impediment to you loving and serving and being, yeah. but yeah, it's not like pain is ever going dis- to like disappear completely, nor should it, nor should it, because there's a good that's been taken away. When you lose a child, a real genuine good is gone. We should be sad when goods are gone. Okay. So listen, we have this primary wound. Primary wounds heal when you, you give them time and allow them to heal. Most of our problems, I think, in life are caused because we get in the way of the healing process. So the problem, the natural healing process, the problem is wounds are painful. And what oftentimes happens is I develop false beliefs about something that's happened to me. So somebody, you know, I get sexually assaulted and all of a sudden I start believing I'm a piece of garbage. Nobody can love me. Now that belief makes my it enhances, it enlarges my pain. The pain of being assaulted isn't is enough. Just the, the lack of security and the lack of dignity. The wound is enough by itself, but I add to the wound through this false belief. And then what I oftentimes do, because that's so painful, I start to act in ways where I try to, there's self-preservation strategies. I try to reduce the pain of that wound. And I can go to extremes either way. I can go to extremes. I can maybe become promiscuous because, well, um, uh, sexual intimacy doesn't matter at all, right? I'm just making too big of a deal out of it. It doesn't matter. Um, it's not a big deal. So I become sexually promiscuous so that I, I don't have to feel like what happened to me was a big deal. That's one extreme. The other extreme is to become terrified and sort of never uh, engage in romantic relationships at all or relationships with people who where it might become romantic because I'm afraid it might lead to some sort of physical intimacy. Those are both attempts at trying to avoid the pain of what's happened to me. I think most of our problems in life, y'all, are because we experience a primary wound and then we get in there to try to avoid the pain of it. And we avoid the pain of it in all sorts of ways that cause subsequent wounds and hurts they enhance the wound, they they make our wound wider, bigger, deeper, and they set us up to be wounded in the future. So I'm calling these secondary wounds. Secondary wounds are wounds that we play a part in creating. 
Um, so it turns out like, um, I don't like feeling like I'm not a good enough parent. Right? So I have this like deep fear of not being a good enough parent. And so, um, when I'm out right in public, I want everyone to think I'm this good parent. So I'm, I'm constantly monitoring my children, hyper vigilant. Right. Well, my kids act like kids, right? <laughs> they're like, they're kids. So when my kids act like kids now in public, because I'm hyper vigilant because of this fear. Now, I don't want to feel the pain of feeling like I'm not a good enough parent. That's a pain that I'm trying to avoid feeling. But because I go into a situation wanting to avoid that feeling, I've set my kids up to hurt me. I've set my kids up to enhance my pain. Because the second my my five-year-old acts like a five-year-old, oh, man, look at what you, right? You made me feel like a bad dad. Now, well, did, did he or did I go into a situation with a belief, with a self-preservation strategy that set him up? My five-year-old acted like a five-year-old. My nine-year-old acted like a nine-year-old. My 14-year-old acted like a 14-year-old. But they, I take it personally. I get, you guys just don't listen to me. You got, I get angry. I get frustrated. I get stressed out. They're the problem. No, they're not the problem. I'm the problem. I went into the situation with a belief and with a self-preservation strategy. I want to protect myself from feeling the pain of not being a good enough dad. So I go in there, right, tense and tight, hyper-vigilant to their behavior, and, and I've set them up to wound me. So what I need to start doing, I think, if I'm going to heal, is I need to recognize all of my defects of character, right? which is like a fancy term for self-preservation strategies. All the ways that I try to keep myself safe or try to help myself avoid pain. And so greed, greed's a self-preservation strategy. I don't like feeling financially insecure, so I'm going to grab for as much money as I can. The problem with greed is now not everyone's lining up the way I want them to line up. So now I got to start manipulating people, right? playing harder and being more manipulative or controlling. Or I think ultimately a lot, not, I want to be careful I say this, but, but a lot of chronic stress, chronic anxiety, uh, some of our depression, some of our unhappiness, it's the result of these secondary wounds. Right when we're living by our secondary wounds, when when, when I'm engaged in self-preservation strategies, I'm not free. And so, so imagine I'm listening to this podcast. Imagine imagine self-preservation. I want to be liked by everyone. So I come into this this podcast with this self-preservation. I need to be liked by everyone. I need to make everyone like me. Well, all of a sudden, you guys get a bunch of negative feedback from your student. Like that guy sucked. He was the worst. He was. Well, now I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling depressed. I'm feeling, but that's not like the fault of Liberty students. I set you guys up. I gave you guys the power to make me feel that way by needing to feel like I need everyone to like me. And if I could get rid of that need, that desire to have everyone like me, then I take the control away from the world outside of me, right? And so, so part of these steps of healing are recognizing the ways that we contribute to our own pain and suffering and trying to remove those. That, that's what I think freedom is. Freedom is removing all the ways that I try to take care of myself, to preserve myself, to avoid pain. 
and just living life in that freedom. And I'm going to be hurt. I'm, people are going to hurt me. I'm going to be hurt. But that's the cross. The key is to not get in the way of the natural healing process, I think. It's to not engage in these unhealthy self-preservation strategies. It's to be mindful of where false beliefs are creeping up about what's happened to me. Because those are things that deepen and elongate my pain, make it worse. And they also, like, they make me set other people up to continue hurting me. And so, you know, my biological father leaves when I'm four years old. I feel like, I'm not good enough. I I can't be a good parent if I've never had a good parent. Well, I'm never going to be able to forgive that man and be free with that false belief. Now, now, did he hurt me? Yeah, he hurt me. He walked out. That's a primary wound. But I've added to that primary wound a false belief. I can't be a good parent unless I've had a good parent. Well, now that wound feels terrible. And that wound feels unhealable. Right? I've added that. that that's a false belief. I've added that. That's what I bring to the table. I need to remove that belief so that I can just sit in the, the natural pain of the primary wound. The natural pain of the primary wound. And over time, that primary wound will begin to heal if I don't get in the way of it. But I get in the way with my false beliefs and my self-preservation strategy. So I don't want to feel like a bad dad. So I'm going to be dad of the year. Take my kids out every day, throw the ball, take them fishing, take them camping. I'm going to sit down and do schoolwork with them. I'm going to, well, now my kids, they're like, sometimes they don't want to hang out with me. They want to hang out with their friends. And I'm like, well, why is it? Guys, I'm dad of the year. I'm feeling hurt. Right? Or um, I'm feeling like like one night I'm too tired. I can't go out and throw the ball. Well, now I'm feeling anxious. Like, what, maybe I'm not a good enough dad. Maybe I'm, No, see, like I'm setting myself up because I'm living my life as a reaction to the pain. I'm trying to avoid the pain of not feeling like a good enough dad myself. And so I set other people up to hurt me. And I set myself up to feel anxious, depressed, unhappy, unfulfilled, blah, blah, blah. So step three really is about looking at the ways that we contribute. And then step four is admitting to God, ourselves, and another person these uh, these ways that I've been acting and reacting. It's bringing them into the light. Right? It's bringing them into the light. We're only as sick as our secrets. And so we want to bring them into light. We want to expose them to Christ, give them to Christ. And then step um, the last step is to dedicate my life daily to the service of God. Not like generally, but to have a new mission in life, a new daily mission. Every day, my mission is to love and serve God. And I wake up every day, I say, God, look, these are the ways that, that I tend to try to take care of myself. I become... Uh, greedy. I become self-seeking. I become um, angry. I be- these are all ways that I try to create right, self-preservation. God, remove those from me so that I can serve you. Because the thing with those self-preservation strategies is they get in the way of me serving God. And so I say, God, remove them so that I can serve you better. And and then that becomes my mission that day. And so the scripture there is, seek ye first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added unto you. When my daily mission becomes, God, what would you have me do? Each moment, each all these other things that I think I need, he provides for. If I'm trying to stay in God's will each moment, 
my finances work out. Uh, my healthcare works out. My parenting works out. My God, what would you have me do? Most of us invert it. We seek other things first. Safety, security, right? Once I get those things, God, then I'm yours. Trust me. Once I get the house in order, I get my finances straight. I get my, get the relationship I want. I'm going to give it all to you. I'm dedicated to you. And it's the opposite. God says, wake up today and seek to do my will first and foremost in everything. And all these other things will fall into line. And so the last step is about being of radical service to God and to our fellow man every day. We don't get to keep the healing if we're not going to use it to serve and honor God. We, we re-enslave ourselves. If we try to take our healing and use it selfishly, we end up re-enslaving ourselves. Instead, we have to orient that healing that God gives us to his, the loving service of, of, of God. And when we do, man, you will go, you, you will find yourself, y'all, in some of the, the craziest places with the most amazing people, places you never thought you could go, never thought you'd be, with people you never thought you'd meet. But if you, if we keep acting according to self-preservation strategies, trying to keep ourselves safe, trying to avoid pain of wounds, trying to, our world gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And we miss out on, on, that kind of freedom God wants us to have. So, um, no, that's sort of a truncated way. I was trying to, trying to go quickly there just to, to honor our time, but, but that's the gist of it, right? Surrender, look at your image of God, get down to causes and conditions, um, really identify those defects of character, emit them to God yourself, another human being, and then become of maximum service to God. That's, uh, that's five. What is my sixth step? <laughs> in this book i have a six step what is it well i think i think one of the steps was to write it down the inventory oh that's right yeah yep. I, I separated those two out so i had yep. you write it down and then yeah step three is write it down step four is tell someone anyway you, that's the gist of it you get it guys oh here's a beautiful line jesus says if anyone's to come after me he must deny himself pick up his cross and follow me I actually think that part of that deny yourself, part of what that means is deny our self-preservation strategies, deny the ways that we try to keep ourselves safe and say, okay, God, I just, I have to avoid this pain. So I'm going to, no, no, stop, stop trying to take care of yourself. Stop trying to, to be the one who's in control of avoiding the pain. Don't do that. Let me take care. I'll take care of it if you stop doing that. And so I think that's part of denying ourselves is denying the ways that we try to control life, manipulate life, manipulate people, control people to be, do, act the way we need them to be, do, and act so that we feel safe. He says, let that go. Trust me. And you're going to get wounded. We're going to get primary wounds if we do that. But, but, man, life, life works out. Life is totally different when we have that, that new mindset, that new mentality, that new why. I know my mission today. It's like real simple. Before, my mission was like so unclear. Today, it's I wake up and I think, oh, what would you have me do? And the beauty of that is my mission is clear, but the particulars are exciting. 
Because I say like today, it's okay, I'm going to do this podcast. Help me to just do your will. Say what you want me to say. Be who you want me to be. Then after this, I have to write a little bit. So I give that to God. I say, God, okay, this is your will for me. Then this is what I'll do. Help me in this. And I have to ask God to remove my fear and as I write. And I have to ask God to remove all these things that I bring that get in the way of me being of service to him in my writing. But then I ask him, okay, when I'm done writing, what do you want me to do? Do I go home and play with the kids? Do I have to go home and do a house project? Maybe you want me to go have coffee with a friend? Like, man, life starts to like, sometimes you, you, you open yourself up in that way and, and you bump into somebody randomly. And you end up having a conversation with somebody like, man, that was a God conversation. Totally. And that's the same conversation before. If I was running on self-will, I would have been like, no, no, I got to get home and do this thing I want to do. I don't have time for this conversation. Walk right by or cut it off. When I'm open to what God wants for me in the moment, I'm not enslaved by my self-preservation strategies. Then, uh, then life takes, takes on a new texture. Bro, I got to say, like, first of all, so good. <laughs> so yeah. good. Nice. You know, but there's the other piece there, too. I mean, for us as students or as, as new clinicians, like, it's helpful to see, uh, hey, we're still human here, you know. And so, your vulnerability and your sharing and your just your experience of being a human and also being a clinician. Yeah. Uh, as, as if those two were somehow opposed. <laughs> no, I think the best clinicians are really uh, honest about being human beings. Mm. Yeah. Not overly so, right? If you're in the therapy room crying and, and your client's consoling you, like, that's a problem. Right. But but like, they have to know they're in a human relationship. That's what's healing. It's the human relationship. Yeah. Gosh, so good. So good. Yeah. So And look, this anyway. is just my way of putting it together. There's so many ways. Y'all, here's yeah. the truth too. Like you do what works. Do what mm. works for you. And so, um, you know, the dirty little secret or not so secret in our profession anyway is like, um, when they look at all of the different therapeutic modalities, and I think last last estimate I saw, there were something like 500 different therapies out there. But when they do these big studies and they look at all of them, it turns out they're about all equally effective. There's like there's a couple there's a, a couple of blips there. One of them is like for specific phobias, exposure therapy is particularly effective. But like generally speaking, anxiety, depression, right? Um, whether you're doing CBT, internal family systems, uh, ACT, DBT, but it's like they're all about equally effective. And so what that tells me is that like there's some common factors among all of these therapies. Um, and I'm always leery when therapists get real territorial. They're like, oh, if you don't know this thing, man, you don't know. Like, I'm, you know, I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> that's probably not true. But the reason I say that is because that means that like if this method or approach doesn't work for you, fine. That's okay, man. Like find the one that does. I think I, I have friends who have read books by Catholic authors, Catholic therapists, and they start to feel like, well, that didn't really resonate with me. It didn't work for me. Oh no, I must be screwed up. I'm like, no way. Like find what does work. Find what works. Um, we, yes, therapists and counselors, we develop certain allegiances to certain modalities because they work with us they work with our personalities we feel comfortable with them but that doesn't mean they're always going to work with with our clients and so that's fine it's not a it's not the problem of the client it's um, so th that's how i feel about these steps like if these steps don't work for you like that's not on you just find what does um there's some other 
Christian or Catholic author out there who might say it in a different way that resonates. Go with him. Go with him. Go with her. Um, so, so if it works, great. If it doesn't, uh, you know, take this idea and, and cast it into the fires of bad ideas. I love that common factors approach. I mean, that, that's really big. Just a lot of what we talk yeah. about here, just the therapeutic relationships, common factors across yeah. all the different things. You know, I've got yeah. the heart and soul change right here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, yeah. I love that. That, that for me is like, especially in Christian circles, man, I'm on these listservs where people are like, oh, if you're not doing, um, what was the one I heard recently? It's called like something image, transformational image therapy or something like that. If you're, you got to learn this. This is a game changer. I'm like, <laughs> that's what everyone has said about every therapy for all time. Like, I mean, and it's not like it's going to work for some people well. And if you think it works well, you know, in those studies, those, those common factors in the, in the head to head studies between different therapies, um, what they found was like for, for some of them, like CBT was coming out way ahead and they were like, what, what is that? What's happening? And when they controlled for the therapist, for the experimenter's allegiance, like what modality did they per- personally think was the best? When you control for therapist allegiance, the differences go away. And so, yeah, like, of course, we think like the thing that we're doing and we see it. Oh, man, I got all this confirmation bias going on when I, yeah, my therapy works. Like, of course it does. You need it to, right? But like, so do all the other ones for the most part. Like, Stick with the common, yeah, common factors. You need a strong therapeutic alliance, tasks, bond, and goals. You need a story that helps them understand the problem they have and gives them hope and a way to get unstuck. And all the different therapies tell different stories about that. What I just laid out is a story about your, it's a story about your problem, how your problem works and how you can get unstuck. If that story doesn't work for you, find a different story. But, I don't want the pressure to feel like people think that this is like the the silver bullet for over the ages. God has touched and healed people in so many ways. It's not limited to my five steps or yeah, six steps. Six steps. Well, who knows what the sixth is? Four. I mean, (laughs) we lost count at this point. Some steps. Surrender, God. Daily offering. Oh, 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 you know what I added? Guys, this is big. Sorry. Make up. <laughs> oh my gosh. Look, this is crucial. So, so going back and clearing up the wreckage of the past. So, so because we act out of secondary wounds all the time, we end up hurting people. But we give ourselves passes on it all the time. We think to ourselves something like, well, I'm only 2% responsible for that. They were 98% responsible. So I don't need to say sorry or I don't need to make amends. One of the steps I've added is we have to go back in order to walk freely in the light of the Holy Spirit. We need to go back and we need to do what we can to make right the wrongs of our past. No matter how small, no matter, even if we're only 2% wrong, we need to go back and clean our side of the street. That's the fifth step. And so there's this fascinating thing, dude. There's this guy named Jay Budashevsky. Um, I can't even begin to spell that. It's, it's, a, it's a bizarrely spelled last name. But he's a philosopher at the University of Texas, Jay Budashevsky. And he does this thing on conscience, our conscience. And he has something called the five furies. And he said, anytime we violate our conscience, right? And that is anytime we, our conscience is that, that place within us, right? Given by God, that place where we know what's right and wrong. 
And he said, anytime we violate our conscience and we do something that's against God's law, if we don't acknowledge it and try to make it right, our conscience flares up and tells us that we violated it. And it flares up in different ways. And he calls them the five furies. But for example, like one of the five furies is um, like when we've, when we've done something wrong, one of the first things we need to do is we, we need to try to avoid doing that thing again in the future. And we need to acknowledge, we need to confess that we did it wrong. We need to tell, I did this wrong thing. And he said, when, when people violate their conscience, one of the signs of the furies is some people will just blabber all these things they've done wrong. They just, they, you, and we've met people like this. You meet them at the gas station. You're talking to them two minutes and they're telling you every sin they've ever committed. And you're like, what is going on here? And Budashevsky says, that's somebody who's violated their conscience, but they're confessing everything but the thing they did. The thing that really is like the deep, deep violation of conscience. And so, you know, maybe, um, maybe somebody's, uh, you know, gotten an abortion or participated in, in assisted suicide, you know, whatever it is they've done. So they've uh, cheated on their spouse. They've, you know, used drugs, but didn't tell their parents or something that you'll find these people sort of blathering about all these other things they've done, but that's their conscience, their conscience raging because they haven't confessed the thing that's like the primary issue. Um, another, another part of like, of dealing with a violated conscience is you have to reconcile. If somebody has been hurt or harmed, you have to, you have to reconcile with them. You have to try to heal the relationship. And Budashevsky says, but when people don't acknowledge that, what they do instead is they start to hang out with other people who have committed the same sins. Rather than reconciling with the person you've hurt, you start to reconcile with other people who do the same kind of thing you do. And so, so the expression there is like water seeks its own level. You always think like, like all these biker gangs, right? <laughs> like, well, Maybe what's happening there is these are these are people who have violated their conscience. And rather than going back and saying, hey, I'm sorry I robbed from you or stole from you or did this thing, rather than making right the wrong, what they do instead is they just find other people who do the same things they do. So Budashevsky has these five furies. And they, what happened was they got me thinking. You should look them up. They're awesome. They got me thinking about what happens when we hurt people, but we don't make it right. Well, in some ways, we're still enslaved. We still kind of hang our head in shame a little bit. Part of what we need to do to walk in this new freedom is we need to do whatever we can to make right the wrongs of our past. That means just owning our part. So so if you're 2% wrong, own 100% of your 2%. And this is about the virtue of justice, giving to others what they're due. Right? So if I, if I, if I, um, you know, destroy my family because of alcoholism or drugs. And I just go back and I'm like, hey, I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> That's not justice. You have to you have to do whatever's in your power to try to make right the wrongs of your past. To reconcile to whatever degree is possible. Reasonable. If I steal a thousand bucks off somebody and I'm like, hey, I'm really sorry. Like, well <laughs> great, right? But what you should be doing is saying, I can give you two bucks a month for the next 50 months. 
and that's only a hundred bucks for the next 500 months. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, nailed it. Um, right, like that's, we have to, we can't carry around. And, and I think here, like some people might say, well, isn't it just enough to admit to God or tell God, like, you're sorry. <clears throat> we can sort of be forgiven on that spiritual ontological level. But but there is something because we're we're flesh and spirit, we're body and soul. We have to we have to try to make right on the natural level what we've done. So if I steal a thousand bucks off somebody just saying sorry, saying sorry God, I'm sorry I did that. Okay, forgiven. And then I go to the person, I'm like sorry. Well, no, not quite. I need to try to make right that wrong. Can I can I give you a thousand dollars? Can I pay you twenty five bucks a month for? the next 40 months yes is that right 40 yeah seems yeah, like the engineer. Engineer. Okay, yeah, there yeah. It is. yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> i have a calculator under under the camera <laughs> um yeah so so i think that's part of these steps too is, is step five that i've added is um sometimes what we're dealing with is is a conscience that we violated we've done something against god's law that we know and our conscience is telling us this and it won't let us rest until we make it right our conscience won't let us rest until we make it right. And thank God that God God imbues us with a conscience. Right? Thank God for that. But we need to honor that conscience. And and when that conscience is raging, we need to try to to make it right. And so that's what that fifth step is about. It's about and and yeah, <clears throat> it's probably a whole nother podcast about how do we how do we make amends? How do we make right the wrongs of like that what if somebody what if it puts us in an abusive harm like we can't put ourselves in harm's way if it's going to cause physical harm but we want freedom i want to be free but this is a good way to live like i have to i have to i have to make amends to my kids all the time because i get it wrong and i find if i don't acknowledge that i got it wrong like something builds up in me like i've been impatient or i yelled at my kid i shouldn't have but i'm like wow well, whatever who cares? Like that's what parents do. Parents yell at their kids sometimes. Oh well. No, like I gotta go back and say, buddy, I was wrong. I totally, I totally messed up. Like I was frustrated. I lost my cool. I was wrong. And that's like humbling. It's humbling to apologize to your kid. I need to admit when I'm wrong, and I need to try to make right my wrongs. I think that that's part of living a deeply, devoutly Christian life. Not pretending like I'm infallible or like I don't make mistakes. I'm wrong. I need to make it make it up. So anyway, that's step five, and then step six is circa. There it is. Thanks for that. Yeah, we got to it. Yeah, we got there. So yeah, th- there there is great power in those steps, and, and I've experienced them myself. And and yeah. just thank you so much for being Love with us man. today. Um, yeah. Just everything, everything you shared. Um, it was such great insight, such great wisdom. Uh, again, thank you for your vulnerability, your authenticity. Um, and I'm sure our our, res- our listeners will be able to resonate with that. So thank you for being Good on be with here, us y'all. today. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. Thanks, bro. Best of luck yeah. in everything y'all do, yeah. And, and thank you, Jeff, for always hanging there with me as my co-host. I greatly mm. appreciate it. I want to thank all our listeners for joining us today, and I just want to wish everybody a blessed day.